0: wellnesscoach.com streaming wellness into your life welcome to wellness women radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health work and play dr ashley bond and dr andrea huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life hello again wonderful listeners you're here with ashley and I'm Andrea. And we are the Wellness Women. And welcome back to another episode of Wellness Women Radio. Thank you so much again for joining us. And um, look, we... Kind of knocking on towards almost a hundred episodes, which is pretty exciting. So we thought we'd add in something a little different and new. And we've uh, decided we're going to. An- we just get so many questions each week, don't we, Andrea? That we decided it was something we thought. Well, how do we kind of integrate these questions into the episodes we want to do? Um, so what we're going to do now is have our own little segment that uh, is going to start each show, and it's called In the Spotlight. And this is going to be your opportunity to kind of get your name read out on the uh, show and <laughs> with a question that's really interesting and we're going to answer them for you. So this week's question is a great one.
1: Yeah. So this comes from Francis in Perth. So, um, you know, someone on our home turf, which we love. So big shout out to Francis. Thanks for sending in your question. And look, the reason why we want to start trying to answer these on the podcast as well, and give you a bit of airtime is we literally get inundated by your emails and questions and we love them. So please keep them coming. Sometimes it's impossible for us to reply to all of them. That's why we've got my PA Rebecca on board too. I'm trying to get through some of them. Um, so please be patient with us, but also have a listen out to the podcast, because we're going to try and answer them here too. So this has come from Francis. Hi there, Andrea. Actually, I've uh, just started listening to your podcast and I love it. Um, Thank you. We appreciate that. (laughs) I have a question. I've been on the pill for about 10 years now. I'm not sexually active, but I hate having my period. I'm scared to go off as I'm not sure if my face will break out. I'm 36 or if something else weird or wacky will happen. On the other hand, I'm wondering if taking the pill packs back to back brings on bloating and other side effects I'm not even aware of um, caused from taking it. I notice I get quite bloated around the 2 pack mark of not having my period. So what she's meaning is she's taking two pills or, or taking her um, contraceptive pill continuously, but skipping the placebo pills. So instead of actually having a bleed or a period, um, she's, you know, just continuously taking the, the contraceptives. Any advice you can provide, um, or if you can calm my fears that it's more beneficial to come off the pill, then stay would be appreciated. Thanks, Francis. Okay. So, This is uh, like a multi-layered question. What I'm going to answer is the main topic there about whether or not it's safe to take the pill back to back. Um, And, So I'm going to point you back to one of our podcast episodes that we did specifically on the oral contraceptive pill. I can absolutely, just to, um, you know, get this off the table, I can absolutely calm your fears that coming off the pill will be the best thing you could possibly do. When you actually allow your system to produce hormones naturally and have your body work the way it's supposed to, you will not look back. Will your system go a little bit haywire when you come off? possibly but there's so much that you can do to rebalance that before you come off and then when you do as well Um, sometimes it can take a little while because you've been on the pill for a while but it's absolutely worth it all right so as far as taking the pill back to back
0: Oh, gosh, so many ladies do it, don't they? It's uh, something oh, that, you know, I remember through yeah. high school it was really common and through uni it was all the sports teams and how to avoid, uh, you know, falling on a-, a bleed through your comp, so you just skipped it. Uh, I'm guilty I did it in the past as well. And,
1: man, it's bad news, hey? <laughs> it- Look, I absolutely think so, and that is the only time that I would advocate for it. If it, a woman is a very competitive athlete and a comp falls on her period and she's already on the pill, that is the only time I would ever suggest for her to do that. Going on holidays and having your period is not a good enough excuse, ladies, and I hear that all the time. <laughs> um, look, if you read any, um, like, trendy women's health magazines or, or websites and also most um, gynecologists and obstetricians will absolutely say it's completely fine, it's completely safe, to skip the period usually they'll say for about 84 days or about three months Um, now my thoughts however on this is that there are a few times in a woman's life where we don't have periods so one is before we actually hit menstruation the other times are when we're pregnant breastfeeding or menopause those are the times when you're not meant to menstruate. Well,
0: not meant to. And also the other times that happen is when we're sort of malnourished or there's some metabolic stuff going on.
1: Yes. So, yep, you know, no, we need
0: we not. need to know about this stuff, don't we? And so, unfortunately, taking the pill masks and covers up any of these other issues at play. And whilst it does reduce symptoms, which are just your body's clever way of trying to tell you something's, you know, not quite right, um, and it's very convenient to mask those symptoms, you can't run from them. And I think that's the big thing, ladies, you need to know is that let's just say you went on the pill when you were – 17, 18, 19, 20, because you had, you know, bacne, or you had concerns with, you know, weight, weight this or weight that, or any number of reasons. I mean, there's so many reasons women go on the pill, but you can't mm. run from that. So you eventually need to address the underlying cause of the problem. Um, and to be fair, most women don't realize that it, that is an issue to deal with until they're suddenly wanting to come off the pill, usually in order to get pregnant and then yeah. all the chaos happens and all the issues that they've been hiding for so long start to show up. So I think it's a very good idea sooner than later to uh, come off the pill and just let your body uh, find its center point, find that homeostatic balance in its hormones, and then look at how you can support that if things are still uh, going out of
1: order. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I really don't like this idea of unopposed synthetic hormones. Mm. Um so, you know, you're creating this chemical castration state in your system for long periods of time. And that's what, you know, pharmaceutically and medically speaking, that's what the oral contraceptive pill is classes is chemical castration. So, um, you know, the period you have when you're taking the the pill is not it's not a period, it is a hormone withdrawal bleed. So, technically it's not a period. However, I would not encourage you to, if you are going to stay on the pill, please at least have that bleed, have that small window of, 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 you know, like without the synthetic hormones in your system. Now, there are a couple of instances where I'd absolutely categorically warn women away from ever skipping the placebo pills. And those are women who have any kind of genetic blood clotting disorders. So, for example, if you've ever had like an emboli or um, deep vein thrombosis or anything like that, one, you shouldn't be using the pill in the first place. But if you are, make sure that you are absolutely having a bleed. Um, And women over 35 who are smoking, are at a higher risk of blood clots as well. Well, actually any any woman who's on the pill and smoking is at a higher risk of clots, so please be aware of that. Um and Francis, I know that you're about 36, so I'm I'm hoping that you don't smoke and I hope that you don't fall into that category. All right, so Francis, I hope that answers your question. If you've got more um, or if you want us to go into more detail, just shoot us an email back. (laughs) (laughs) And we can answer another question. (laughs) Absolutely. On Uh, to
0: the show. (laughs) On to the show. Well, look, this is a a kind of cool episode today because we've got a very special guest on the show today. And, look, she's known as the period whisperer to all her patients and clients and uh, she's certainly amazing when it comes to women's reproductive health and I think she's just a gem of a human being. And, look, today we're actually going to interview and have a chat with you <laughs> Our very own and wonderful and amazing Dr. Andrea Huddleston. So welcome to the show, Andrea.
1: Oh, I think I'm blushing. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's look, amazing. I just thought we're going to tackle a topic today that is just so uh, in the zone of what Andrea does and how she's you know spent her her life and education, dedicating it to you know the area of women's reproductive health. So it would be remiss of us to not talk to you directly and in, in interviews to so speak about this because I just think um, you're a wealth of knowledge and I really want to share that with everyone today. So. Let's dive into the topic we're going to talk about and I'm going to really just leave it out to you because I know that you've got so much depth in this area that uh, I really look forward to hearing what you've got to share. The topic we've got today is an interesting one because what it's about is like I think a lot of women can understand the concept of PMS or, you know, premenstrual stress or, or any number of whatever you want to call it. You know, a lot of women have funny names for it, but uh, essentially it's just that, that feeling of just being all out of kilter coming towards your cycles. And I think this today is like PMS on drugs like it's, it's like pms yeah. on speed yeah. and it's super hypersensitized ramped up you know responses it's called premenstrual syndrome um and sometimes you'll see it called as well premenstrual dysphoric disorder that's more to do with the mental emotional stuff that's connected but really this is just a really it's more than a little bit bloating and cramping before a period it's it contributes to significant mood disorders um and they get more severe as the period draws near so let's talk about that because a lot lot of women are experiencing this um in its most severe state anything from sort of eight to 12 percent of women experience this so that's quite a lot of women globally speaking um let's have a chat about what it is why it happens some of the things we can do about it and if this is you then please listen in because i know that any woman who's you know got a partner or a friend saying oh my god woman you're absolutely nuts every every cycle um it's not just you there's lots of women out there with this and I think it's really good time to have a little look and say well rather than just say well that's just how I am let's have a look at some strategies you might take to improve or or support that that concern you have
1: yeah and let me put this into a little bit of context so um the uh, the reason we're actually doing this topic and I actually didn't even tell you this actually was my older sister Sarah um messaged me and she said I think I've got post ovulation depression I'm like Go on. (laughs) Um, and I actually had a conversation with another patient today and she was just saying, and this is so classic. It's almost like they flick a switch. So the first, you know, usually 12 to kind of 14 to 17 ish days of their cycle, pretty good, smooth sailing. You know, they're feeling energetic. They're feeling connected. They're sociable. Um, you know, life's pretty good as soon as they ovulate. To the day, it's like a switch goes off in their head, and all of a sudden, they feel like a lesser version of themselves. So, and this is again a more severe version of that PMS. So, they're withdrawn, they'll feel sad immediately post um, ovulation, they're irritable, they have absolutely no energy. It's like this huge cloud comes over them, and it's also they will flick a switch from going from no energy, really moody to. All of a sudden, rage, or they're crying at a, an Oprah commercial, or you know, like very, very weepy at the drop of a hat. And they, I think, one of the biggest symptoms though is that sense of being really withdrawn. Now, if we went into really looking at, say, the the premenstrual dysphoric disorder, this is the end spectrum of real marked irritability anger, very marked depression, anxiety, and tension, and and those sorts of things that happen as soon as ovulation happens. So it can be anywhere along this spectrum. And these are, and, and women, if you're experiencing this, you are the people that we're talking to today. So the cornerstone of this, however, is the hormone progesterone. And that is one of the things that we're going to talk about today and when it's dysregulated, why it actually causes this post-opulation depression or this severe PMS or, or premenstrual, dysphoric, sort of whatever you want to name it, progesterone is the cornerstone of this. So the symptoms that um, you'll feel when your progesterone is kind of out of whack is everything that I've just mentioned, but it also can go into rage Headaches, ovarian cysts, just miserable periods. So sometimes more painful, heavy, um, irregular periods, sleep disorders. And seriously, I know these women when they come in with their partners and they want, and you can see their partners want to run for the hills at this time of the month. <laughs> They will be walking on eggshells for two weeks a month, which you know is is quite sad because these women will literally attest to the fact that they t- they are turning into a monster for for these times, um, and and that's a bit sad. So let's talk a bit about progesterone then, and and what it actually does. Um, sorry, Ash. Did you want to jump in there? No. Look, I think that that really covers it. And I, I, I know from
0: chatting to women who've experienced this stuff, it's really that also a deep sense of hopelessness because this is. Yes. It's almost like I just oh it's coming again and it's it's the anxiety knowing that it's coming again and it's so cyclic and it's always so reliable that it's painful because you know that oh here we go ovulation and it's all downhill from here for the next two weeks and um that hopelessness can be really hard to to deal with so that so often i'm finding women have been dealing with this not just for months but years and Mm -hmm. don't know where to turn they've tried a few different things usually they've tried the pill (laughs) so that's um you know the first choice to try and fix their problem so to speak um and
1: it often um will exaggerate mm. these symptoms particularly yeah. in these women so if you're heading down that track go with absolute caution and
0: again because that's that progesterone so many of you know the pills often a progesterone only pill and things like that which uh they like to to give out but really this is a progesterone issue so don't go adding more progesterone to the situation because unfortunately most of these women are already experiencing you know not just pms symptoms but really super super things like tender the breasts and and the mm-hmm. cramping the bloating, like you said but it can also be muscle pain and things like that you know there's there's reasons mm-hmm. that they'll be seeking out physios and chiros and other people because they're just getting so sore and
1: painful they just want someone to help them yes yeah Yeah, you're spot on. Um, Okay. So let's talk a little bit about what progesterone does. So progesterone is the hormone that's most dominant in the luteal phase of your cycle. So the luteal phase being from the point of ovulation back around to day one of your period. And it has some really important roles to play. So in the first part of your cycle, we've got estrogen that's kind of building the blocks in, in your uterus to make that, you know, good, nice, lush um, kind of uterine lining that would allow for implantation of a fertilized embryo um, or, or of a fertilized egg, I should say. So, yep, that's great. Um, so, estrogen is what builds everything. And then progesterone is the hormone that it almost puts the cap on that. So, it helps to control everything from there. But it's also what we call a thermogenic hormone. So, it actually raises your body temperature. And so, it's also incredibly important for metabolism. Um, progesterone is a natural diuretic as well. So it naturally helps to maintain good fluid balances, which is quite ironic because this is usually the time of the month when women feel like they're really retaining fluid. So if that's happening, you know, you've got a problem with progesterone. Um, so progesterone and estrogen kind of have almost like this negative feedback loop. So it will slow down estrogen's activity because estrogen's, you know, a growing hormone. So it kind of keeps that in check as well when it works properly now I like to call progesterone nature's Valium because sure. it's it's supposed to be a almost like a sedating hormone this is the time of the month when you're supposed to feel level-headed um, not necessarily as energetic and as sociable as in the follicular phase with the, the eff- effects of estrogen but you should be feeling calm and centered and not necessarily detached from everybody but not in not feeling as withdrawn as what these women will describe um, and there's reasons why progesterone is referred to as nature's valium and it, it's for a few different reasons so progesterone's produced in the ovaries in our adrenals and in our brain as well which means it affects both our uterus and the brain too um, so progesterone and pregnenolone and, and pregnenolone is is kind of like a pre-hormone that then goes on to make progesterone and that's really important i want you to remember that for a little bit later um so progesterone and pregnenolone are known as what we call neurosteroid hormones so that means they're both hormones and neurotransmitters mm. um so that means that they can affect and they can alter both neural pathways and hormonal pathways and that's Sorry. really important, isn't it? Because yeah.
0: that that action on the brain is critical to understand why we get this heightened sense of, uh, in particularly when it's overactive, like in the situation of this. Yeah. Ball- Post ovulation syndrome is that it's, um, I don't know if anyone who's done a little neuro stuff, but I know that it affects the amygdala, which is that little almond shaped part of the brain. Mm-hmm. And if we think about the amygdala and where it was, it came into evolutionary sort of perspective, it's our chief alert system. So mm-hmm. it responds to cues in your environment and it allows us to assess for threats, essentially. So when we've got uh, a hypersensitized or overactive amygdala, it's triggering this fear anxiety response constantly. Exactly. So it's Exaggerating all of our ex- experiences. And I mean, it is an evolutionary uh, defense mechanism, but it's in this situation, it's it's kind of over-functioning over, <laughs> over functioning, and that's what's causing yeah. so much of the problem. So, you know, unfortunately, because of that, um, overruling the amygdala is the frontal lobes and, you know, again, it affects our cognition, our awareness, our judgment, like all sorts of factors. So this is why, ladies, it's not just you feeling crazy, going crazy. It's actually affecting your brain. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you, I can absolutely attest to the fact that you are not crazy and you're in good company as well because such a huge percentage of the population feels like this for half of the month, um, which I think is really sad. And so, right, so in some people who have this severe PMS, what happens is progesterone actually changes the GABA receptors in our brain and, and GABA is like our calming neurotransmitter that – helps to um, sort of slow down everything and sedate everything, um, which is a good thing. We need that. Um, And then when it changes and and interacts with the GABA receptors, it does that so it's no longer able to respond to progesterone and the other neurosteroids that so it creates a state that's almost like progesterone resistance. So that's kind of the best way I can describe it. So just like insulin resistance, progesterone is the key that's unlocking the door, but it's almost like the the lock is jammed. So there's no calm. There's no rest in this luteal phase of your cycle. So just like that insulin resistance, you've still got the insulin receptors on the cells, but they're burnt out. So they can't, physically take in any more sugar into the cell to use it as energy. So just like when we have this progesterone resistant state, we do have the progesterone receptors on the cells, but they cannot move that progesterone into the cell to be actually used by the nucleus of that cell. So then your your body is almost like sending out signals for more and more of it, And it keeps interfering with that system so then there's a very complicated interaction that happens between GABA and serotonin and serotonin is our very like our feel-good happy neurotransmitter so GABA, serotonin and progesterone all interact together and some people um, who have very severe PMS it's interesting that they do very well on SSRIs or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors but only for the few days so they'll do well on the SSRIs for that period just when progesterone is kind of withdrawn, but then those effects stop and we absolutely do not encourage anyone to be going taking SSRIs unless, you know, they absolutely need it because it messes with a whole bunch of other things, but that's, you know, beyond the topic for today. So let me kind of put it into another term so you can kind of understand this um, in in maybe a different way. Um, There's a woman, um, her name's Dr. Luanne Brizendine, who wrote this amazing book called The Female Brain. And she describes progesterone as this like lovely, luxurious, soothing, sedating, calming substance that without it we're crabby and withdrawn. And as soon as progesterone leaves, her sudden departure is the cornerstone of PMS. Um, And that's exactly, you know, what these women experience. And progesterone stimulates. And when it binds those GABA receptors, that's when we feel level-headed. That's when we feel relaxed. But in these women, because of that progesterone resistance, we're not getting any of that level-headedness or that relaxed state.
0: So, I've got a question then, because I'm sure there's a lot of ladies listening thinking sort of a similar thing. Why? Why does this happen? I mean, why are some females getting this and others not? Why? I mean, we know the body's not stupid. We we talk about this all the time. We know that it's got intelligent design that's uh, far beyond some of our awareness at this time. Why do you think this is happening? I mean, I, I know that certainly, historically speaking, our role as women has
1: changed substantially. Do you think it has something to do with that? Big time. I think that stress is the number one factor. And this is why also that stress is the the first S of my four S's of hormonal imbalance. Um, And there's a very clear biochemical pathway that um, accounts for this as well. So, and ladies, I know you've heard us harp on about this so much, but let me try and explain it to you so that you can really get it. Um, when we're stressed, remember how I talked about pregnenolone? Um, so pregnenolone being that kind of pre-hormone that is like the biochemical precursor to a whole bunch of other hormones, in particular um, progesterone. So when we get stressed out, this process of that's called a pregnenolone steal happens. So because progesterone is made by the adrenal glands as well, when our adrenals have got to make so much cortisol because we're so stressed, cortisol is a really bossy hormone. It is using more progesterone to make more cortisol. And that is what that term pregnenolone steel means. So instead of pregnenolone making progesterone, it's shunting it to make more cortisol because cortisol is the stress hormone stress is part of our evolutionary survival primal inbuilt system to essentially keep us alive so that takes precedence. So we use progesterone gets shunted to make more cortisol and also as cortisol rises it actually blocks progesterone receptors on cells as well. So now you've got this kind of double whammy happening that we're stressed out. We're not making enough progesterone, but then when we are making it, our cells can't use it anyway because the cortisol is actually blocking those receptors on the cell anyway. So from a stress um, perspective, that is biochemically why that happens, why we get that low progesterone and why the progesterone um, resistance is happening as well. And so essentially that just amplifies the effects of progesterone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or essentially it's creating a more exaggerated low progesterone state. Yeah. And then the flow on effects of that is then we're going to have rising estrogen because there has to be kind of that seesaw balance between estrogen and progesterone. So low progesterone means high estrogen. So now we've got this estrogen dominant state relative yep. to low progesterone and what sort of issues do we have when we're in estrogen dominance Andrea because I know this is uh, something we see every single day man and you know the list of things that are associated with estrogen dominance is just so so long and this is all the symptoms that we've already mentioned so painful periods, heavy periods, endometriosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome, ovarian cysts, weight gain, irritability, thyroid disorders, fluid retention. Like, gosh, the the list goes on and on and on. Um, And lining us up for risks of
0: increased cancers, you know.
1: Absolutely. Breast, uterine, ovarian cancers are absolutely related to this as well. Mm. Um, So an estrogen dominant state is not a good state to be in um particularly not for a long time um and then that's shutting off our thyroid when our estrogen is too high for too long it's suppressing your thyroid function which is then going to affect your body temperature your metabolism it's going to affect your gut function your brain function then all of a sudden we've got all this free estrogen running around our system which backs up in our liver and then we've got gut issues and then nothing works
0: (laughs) Okay, that sounds wonderful, I think. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Something we, we really look forward to. No, I think uh from this perspective. So ladies, from that you can tell that this is rather complex. Um in terms of the underlying mechanisms at play. There's a lot of biochemistry that involves not just the hormonal cascades from the endocrine system, but also neurological pathways that are involved mm-hmm. in the brain. So in order to change this there's got to be a few courses of action that need to happen. It's not as simple as just changing your diet, for example, because a lot of people focus on food and say food fixes everything. Um, Unfortunately, when it's a complex mm-hmm. interplay like this, food alone is not going to solve the issue. It's going to support some change, but it's not going to solve it. So let's have a chat about right. some of the options and some of the things that we could be doing that could assist us to avoid such extreme responses to that progesterone and obviously you know just like your sister sarah there how do you go about dealing with this uh post
1: ovulation significant change what can you do right so let's talk about some things that i wouldn't suggest um because that's a much shorter list (laughs) um When we talk about hormones, most people usually are under the impression that, okay, well, if you've got something that's low, then just add more of it and that's going to fix it. Now, that is definitely not the case. And that is, is as the general rule of thumb, more is not better. Um, so for example, with progesterone, what a lot of people often recommend is bioidentical progesterone. Now, if you've got all of these processes happening in your system where by the pregnant steal, you're making more cortisol and you've got progesterone resistance, that is gonna absolutely make things worse or just add more fuel to the fire so your body is already desperately trying to make more and more cortisol if you're adding more progesterone to that your system can simply just use that as more of a stress hormone so simply adding more progesterone is not going to fix the problem Um, some women will find it beneficial for a short period of time so maybe about three months but then they'll plateau and go back downhill again Um, according to the research at the moment wild yam has not been shown to be beneficial in this condition yet um i'm not sure if maybe you know more um strategic studies need to be need to be done on that but you know um we will see so let's talk about the things that are actually proven that are shown to be effective and this is evidence-based as well okay so super easy vitamin c Um, So upping your daily dose of vitamin C has been shown to be really beneficial for helping to rebalance progesterone and supporting the adrenals as well. Um, Now, for your vitamin C, I would recommend at least 2,000 milligrams a day. You can certainly supplement with ascorbic acid, but there's a bit of controversy around that. So if you can get some sort of whole food source of that, then I think that's a great idea. Um, The other thing that's shown to be really beneficial is Vitex or Chaseberry. Um, now, this again is really evidence-based. It um, tends to work in a relatively short period of time as well. Um, and I'm just trying to um, remember the exact dosage. It's usually about a thousand milligrams per day. Um, but when we're talking about herbs, I would I would probably suggest working with a practitioner who's familiar with these. Um, in speaking of Chinese herbs, I absolutely love the combination of um, Chinese peony and buplorum. So this combo is amazing for stopping or helping to support the body when it's going through those crazy mood swings. So when you're going, you're flip-flopping from like the crying to the rage, um, Chinese peony and buplorum tends to do a really good job of rebalancing that. Um there's also evidence that shows things like um, your bladderwrack and saffron is also very good um, in terms of supplementation. Um, saffron is less proven than Chaseberry or Vitex, um, but there's still some evidence that shows it's beneficial. And what about um, some magnesium? Would you throw magnesium oh, in there? absolutely. I can't believe that I've forgotten that. Um, <laughs> yes, absolutely magnesium. Um, yeah. And there's a few reasons for this. So interestingly enough, when women have severe PMS, and here's a shocking statistic for you, they are two hundred and seventy-five percent more or oh, sorry, they consume two hundred and seventy-five percent more refined sugars than women who don't have PMS. That's why we
0: bring out the blockers of chocolate.
1: <laughs> yep, absolutely. I always laugh when I'm at the supermarket and I see a woman with a massive block of chocolate and say a box of tampons, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. <laughs> um So I think that's a pretty shocking stat. And we know how much sugar affects our magnesium stores and our magnesium production as well. So let's absolutely add in magnesium because that is such a beautiful balancing um, supplement that you definitely, definitely need. It could Um, certainly help alleviate some of the cramping and the the muscular responses
0: that we get in that time as well, um, improving some sleep patterns and things like that. So, you know, if you're going to try and reduce uh, symptoms, that's how you do it, isn't it? You give the body what it needs more of
1: big time. Um, the other things that can be very beneficial for the very depressive type symptoms is St. John's wort and ginkgo as well. But again, please work with your practitioner with those ones. Um, now in terms of your food choices though, these are a few no go zones. Okay. So if you are experiencing these symptoms, one thing I'm going to suggest for you is to get off the coffee, Mm. even if it's just the one a day that you're having and it's organic and I feel like I'm talking to myself right now, (laughs) however you justify it, it's probably a good idea to give your body a break from coffee for a period of time until things rebalance because all you're doing is giving your or adrenals a good old punch when you're adding that in there and statistically and the evidence is absolutely um, showing that there's a very negative impact for coffee and PMS symptoms and progesterone function.
0: Can I put a blanket across that and say caffeine? Because there's so many other alternatives to coffee that I know that, uh, you know, heighten that response anyway. So if you're drinking soft drinks with caffeine, if you're drinking uh, the pick-me-up drinks in the mornings, the mothers and the Vs, because, you know, you're feeling so flat and exhausted because that's generally what this condition does, doesn't it? It makes you feel so bad that you might be reaching for things to try and pick you up. You've really got to try and avoid those. So, um, yeah, it's not just the coffees. If you're drinking other things, eating other things with caffeine in them, um, you know, with extra shots and double shots and all sorts of things you need to back off you have to have to move away from it there's there's better alternatives we can what well, what's some of the alternatives let's just say someone says oh,
1: i really need my coffee what are we going to do i mean um, i just say the, turn to the, herbal the tea How is an amazing um, like energy booster that's non-caffeinated um, so maybe having a morning smoothie with, um, you know, some beautiful berries, a really good, like whole food say protein sauce, um, maybe some almond milk and some raw cacao. Like that is going to absolutely give you an energy boost, um, which I think would be a much better way to start the day instead of the coffee. I will never forget the looks that I get from some women when I say to them, you need to give up the coffee when they're experiencing this very severe form of PMS. Um, So I'm I'm sorry. I know I'm treading lightly when I say (laughs) this to you right now, Um, but it's going to be worth it. It might be hard initially, but it'll be worth it.
0: Yeah, I keep it really simple with the kind of recommendations on this one, and this is just for PMs in general. For me, it's caffeine, alcohol, um, fats that are not good, fats, sugar, and salt, and that's kind of like excessive uses of sugar, salt, fat, alcohol, and caffeine. It's kind of you go across that blanket there and just you have to – I mean, funny enough, they're all our comfort foods,
1: aren't they? (laughs) And you will most likely – in the two weeks leading up to your period of post-ovulation, you will most likely be really craving the fat and salt in particular, but it doesn't mean that you can't get them from really good sources. So really good quality fat, your good salt. Um, so like your pink salt or your, your rock salt, those sorts of things. That's still like a good mineral dense, um, you know, kind of condiment. So those things are absolutely fine. Um, but, you know, your hot chips and fries and all that sort of stuff, probably not the best go-to.
0: <laughs> um I like that you are probably not you're being so
1: gentle about this.
0: It's just not. Oh, it's just I, not. <laughs>
1: I'm just I'm thinking of specific patients yeah. who I know I um, gonna curse you um, have, what have have you gone through me. this and when you try and say these things to them, they're like essentially I'm taking away their will to live. Um <laughs> Sorry and it can be that dramatic it really really can be um the other things that have been shown to be absolutely beneficial is acupuncture which is great exercising moderately and frequently and i know that energy levels are going to be a real issue um so it will get easier with time um and you know there are other alternatives um that that have been shown to be beneficial as well so that's great
0: Beautiful. All right. Look, I think ladies, if this is something that's affecting you, if it's someone around you, someone you care about is being affected by this, please go back, listen to this show again, or send it out to a friend, share it with them so that they know more about uh, this concern. And I certainly think that if it's something you go walk away from today, just know that it's real. Know that a lot of women are suffering with the same thing. Um, thankfully to some degree it's transient, so it can come and go. And there's certainly things you can do that can diminish, alleviate, or even, uh, change the symptoms you're experiencing so don't give up on it it's certainly some things that you can do for yourself um, even if it is as hard as giving up coffees it's certainly worth it so so don't give up make sure you try and tackle this from a, a holistic and natural perspective don't be dumping in hormones and changing things around thinking that that's the solution because unfortunately it's not and the science says it's not so um, yeah period whispery that's amazing stuff I've,
1: I've been learning some great things from you today thank you for sharing oh, thanks I, I thought that was super easy um i thought oh i've got a really easy job um, this week because you were kind of going to interview me but it didn't didn't sort of go that way but anyway um look there's stacks of other supplements that can be very effective for gently lifting progesterone as well but i'm going to recommend that you work with your practitioner with that and this is how you actually know if you've got progesterone imbalance um so your period comes on without drama so it gets to about that 28 29 day mark um and you know off it goes fresh red blood looks really healthy it's regular your weight remains stable throughout the month you don't get excess fluid and you've got a good relationship with your partner (laughs) throughout the whole month (laughs) I think I think those are some easy telltale signs and uh, you may actually need to ask your partner about whether or not you're turning into a monster because sometimes we're not the best at being self-reflective in those times (laughs) no (laughs) All right, ladies. Um, well, we hope you've enjoyed uh, this episode today. and We hope you've got a little bit out of it. And because we've added our new, you know, spotlight segment, make sure you're sending us your questions. If you don't want it read out in the podcast, though, put that caveat in the start of your email um, and we'll, you know, we can obviously try and keep it confidential if need be. That's, that's absolutely fine. So, ladies, we want to know what you have done to help with your own PMS, um, whether or not it's been severe or mild. Post it on our social media channel so facebook.com forward slash the wellness women we would love to hear from you and also make sure you're following us on underscore the wellness women on instagram Um, ladies send us through your topics tell us what you want us to cover but until next week be well